Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen, friends, and be seated in the house of the Lord. And open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts 26 as we finish this series, as we finish Paul's sermon, Acts 26, verses 19 through 29. Now hear the word of the Lord. Paul speaking. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. But what I am saying is true and reasonable The king is familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a quarter. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Friends, the way of life is Jesus. Jesus is the way of life. Notice I don't say a way, but the way. There are an awful lot of patterns of life that we call ways of life, but if you're looking for life, if you're looking for the life that is truly life, it is found in Jesus. In college, I spent two summers working with a ministry to youth on Martha's Vineyard. I know, some of us have to suffer for the gospel. And on Martha's Vineyard, the the traffic can get really awful. So the locals are always talking about the other way around. You can get there that way, they'd say, but can't you also get there by cutting through that neighborhood or that township? Now, I was not a local, so I found myself saying all the time, I don't know about that, but I do know this. If you go down Edgartown Road, you will eventually reach Edgartown. That's a simple illustration just to say this. Jesus 
has made a way of life. He has made a way, a straight road. And I don't know about everything else. I do know this. If you will follow Jesus, you will have life and life eternal. Jesus is the way of life. And in him, in him, we have freedom from death and purpose in life. Jesus is the way. I know it can be frustrating in a time of sophistication and multiculturalism to have a pastor who says Jesus is the way, but here we must stand. It is sometimes called the scandal of particularity that Jesus is the only way home to the Father. But Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, he said not offering or suggesting any others. And then he added, so to close the door on any possible confusion, no one comes to the Father except through me. He said it positively, I am the way. And then he turned and he said it negatively, there is no other. Why? So that we would understand fully that life is found in Jesus. And it is a scandal, it it is a challenge, it's a scandalous truth. In fact, in a pluralistic society, there may be no greater sin than to suggest that there is only one way to God. But let me tell you, this is not an unreasonable idea. I stand with uh, Paul. The things I'm saying are true and reasonable. God has opened a gateway to salvation through the remarkable sacrifice of his own son, Jesus, on the cross. This is open to all who would call on him in faith. And then do we turn and and indict God for a closed-mindedness? If you were suffering a horrid disease or your child were, and a doctor came along and said, I have the cure, only take this pill, or only drink this medicine, would you then turn and indict the doctor? and say, I really prefer many more options for my medical treatments. I prefer my medicine to taste like bubble gum, you know. No, you'd be grateful. If you were flying on a single-engine plane and the pilot chose again that same landing strip to land on on the island, do you then indict the pilot for being closed-minded? Sir, you're a very closed-minded pilot, you know. Every time the same... Landing strip? Why don't we try those woods or that hillside or that rocky beach? No. You're grateful that your pilot knows how to bring you down on the ground and preserve your life. I think sometimes we're worried about an air of superiority as Christians when we proclaim that Jesus is the way. We're worried that that sounds like, well, I found a way, and that's better than your way, and that's an air of superiority. But friends, don't you know, the way of life is not the way that you found. The way of life is the way that God found you. It's not an air of superiority if we are fellow beggars sharing where we found bread. But we would complain to God that there's only one way home to him, the way of Jesus. Well, it's my duty and responsibility to teach as Jesus did. It would be no blessing to you, no service to you for me to do otherwise than to tell you what Jesus clearly told his disciples. Jesus said, I am 
the way. And it's in that same spirit of boldness and humility that Paul stands before King Agrippa today. Paul is in chains. He's under charges and awaiting transport to Rome. See, Paul was a Roman citizen, and Roman citizens had the right, when they were charged with a crime out in the territories, to appeal to Caesar. And if they didn't think they were getting a fair shake from the local governor, then they could travel to Rome and have their case tried there. Paul has already appealed to Caesar, so he is in transport on the way. This is not a a real trial here today. But Paul is trucked out in front of King Agrippa by Festus, the procurator of Judea, who's trying to make some kind of an impression on the king. The Agrippa that we're looking at is Herod Agrippa II, the last, as it would turn out, of the Herodian dynasty to serve Rome as uh, Jewish kings. Jewish by birth but raised and educated in Rome. Agrippa was probably more Roman than Jewish at this point. But Paul sees an opportunity, an opportunity to share once again. Even as he stands there in chains to proclaim, to, as Paul says, to testify to both small and great alike that Jesus is the way. And in him we have freedom from death and purpose in life. So there's a lot that could happen to Paul here. Paul has appealed his case. Now, he must go to Rome. To Rome, he will go. But if he could get these men on his side, by the time the trial comes around in Rome, it would be all but finished. But Paul has no interest in making a case for his defense. Eugene Peterson says Paul's defense was no defense at all. Rather, it was an offense, an invasion of the courtroom with the message of the gospel. What Paul did was preach a sermon. Paul was supposed to be defending himself, persuading King Agrippa of his innocence, but instead he addressed the king in personal terms and attempted to persuade him of his need for a savior. And why not? And why not if Jesus is the way of life? Why not if Jesus and Jesus alone brings freedom from death and purpose in life? I want you to take courage and boldness from Paul here. He's standing in chains before great powers, but his message is Jesus. He goes on offense. I think we're too often playing defense when God is calling the offense out on the field. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now tell me, are gates offensive or defensive battlements? Hell is on the defense. The church is on the offense. Paul addresses Agrippa with a mind to persuade, an agenda to change his soul, an intention to see Agrippa transformed by the love and grace of Jesus Christ. He goes on offense. But Festus, he raises the gates. He pipes up and says, you've gone insane, Paul. Let me tell you, dark powers are desperate 
to raise gates high enough to keep out the light of Christ. Evil forces are desperate to raise walls and spiritual places, strongholds and fortresses to ensure the name of Jesus does not penetrate, that the good news of Jesus Christ, of freedom from death and purpose in life does not get into the minds of the lost and the darkened, but they shall not prevail. Amen? Amen. Too often we play defense. Church of Christ, we're not meant to be on defense. We're meant to be on offense. We're playing defense. You can't say that about God. You can't say that about my church. You can't say that about the Bible. Stop sending the defense out on the field when God is calling for the offense. Paul looks at Agrippa, and he sees an opportunity for the gospel. Agrippa, Paul says, God preserved my life for this moment, as the scripture offers, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. He says, to small and great alike. Do you know why? So that Agrippa sees that he's not out of range of this message. In fact, Agrippa sees that he's the target of this message. That this message is for you, King Agrippa, small or great alike. The gospel of Christ calls everyone to repentance. As John Calvin wrote about this moment, Christ gathers everyone in the same embrace so that those who used to lie in the gutter and are now raised to such honor may rejoice in his unmerited goodness. And so those who are in high places may willingly humble themselves and not think their brothers beneath them so that they may be God's children, high or low, powerful or powerless, great or small, You're in need of the same message of grace in Jesus Christ. Agrippa is equally in need of the way of life found in Jesus. A way of life that offers freedom from death and purpose in life. Let's go more into that now. The core of Paul's argument, the sum of it is in verse 23, starting actually back in 22, he says, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. Our teaching is bankrupt when we leave the scriptures behind and launch off on our own ideas. And then Paul says, here it is, verse 23, that the Messiah would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. That's it. John Calvin again. The principal points of Paul's argument were that it is Christ's special task to atone for the sins of the world by his death and to obtain righteousness and life for us by his resurrection. The word light includes whatever makes for perfect happiness. Just as darkness means death and every kind of wretchedness, the light of life was to spread from Judea to the Gentiles. Freedom from death and purpose 
in life. That's what's offered in Jesus. That's what we find when we walk the way of life in Jesus. That's what happens when we stand at the crossroads and we ask of the Lord for the ancient path and we walk in it. That's the way of life. Freedom from death. Freedom from death. We get that from this phrase that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead. We have a suffering Messiah, a suffering Savior, not, conquering, uh, not a conquering king by power and might, but one who conquered by giving his life away to save ours. Jesus died on the cross. The Messiah suffered and died on our behalf so that we would have freedom from death. Oh, there you go, says the cynic. Oh, there it is. You Christians are so afraid of death, you can't tolerate the reality of death, so you dream up these ideas of an afterlife so that you can have faith. Well, let me tell you, I didn't dream anything up. And Paul didn't dream anything up. But death is real, and it is certain. And why wouldn't you be interested if someone said, there may be another way. I can introduce you to someone who died for you. Jesus died on our behalf. And he rose from the dead to prove the open door to eternal life, to prove the way of life is real and possible. Of all the great religious leaders of world history, there's only one that when you walk to the tomb and look down in it, there's no body there. Jesus rose from the dead. And as Paul wrote to some others in a letter, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Even though our bodies may die, we will live eternally with Jesus. As Pastor Nicky Gumbel says, many people see only a hopeless end. But we have an endless hope. The way of life in Jesus gives us freedom from death. Now, there's much more to that. It's not just freedom from death itself, but freedom from all that lends toward death, true freedom from all things leading up to death. In Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins. Death came into the world through sin. Death came on the back of sin. Sin leads to death. In Christ, we have freedom from death, forgiveness of sins, and life eternal. Alleluia. Amen. Freedom from death and purpose in life. Purpose in life. As first to rise from the dead, he would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. When I say Jesus is the way of life, I mean right now, not just in heaven. Jesus is the way of life for us today. This is a message of light, light for all peoples. 
Oh, we've tried and measured all kinds of ways of life in the past few weeks in the sermons of Peter and Paul. Practical atheism is no way of life. Self-actualization is no joy. Hedonism, individualism, religiosity, pursuing false gods of our own, making friends, we have tried it all. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way of life. This is the message of light. Imagine your whole life endued with purpose. Imagine every experience of your life filled with meaning and illuminated by the light of Christ. Once you belong to Jesus Christ, your life has purpose. There is a call on your life that Jesus wants you to fulfill. There is a goal and a noble end for your life. And you know that God has prepared it all for you and will bring it all to completion. You know that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You have purpose in life. Your suffering, your difficulties, your ups and your downs, they are not without meaning. They are not random occurrences scattered across the plane of human existence any longer. For we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. In Christ Jesus, you have purpose in your life. You have freedom from death and purpose for life. Amen. Amen. Paul sees Agrippa as a perfect candidate for the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. And why shouldn't Agrippa turn? Why shouldn't he turn, give up all the other ways he has sought satisfaction and meaning and give his life to Jesus when in Jesus we have freedom from death and purpose in life? The way of life is Jesus and laying down every aspect of our being before the Lord. Now what does that look like? I think it looks a little bit like Paul standing there in chains. His life is not his own, but because it belongs to Jesus, his life is rich and bold and full of purpose and freedom. Paul can preach in chains. He can preach to poor men or prisoners, guards or kings. There's no shame in his past. He knows forgiveness and the freedom from death. There's no anxiety about his future for he has purpose in Jesus Christ. Lay it all down. What does it look like to lay it all down before Jesus? Can you, can you trust him? with the things that matter most to you. Today in particular, we encourage one another to make a commitment, a commitment to the Lord. We wanna make a commitment in that area of our lives that can pull our hearts off course as fast as any, our financial lives, our relationship with money. What does it look like to say, Jesus, tried a hundred ways to make it work. I've tried so many ways to make my financial life work. I've tried it my way. I want it your way. I want the way of life. I want all of my relationship with money to be mastered by you. Please, Lord, show me the way of life. Can you trust him 
in all areas of your life? Can you trust him with your children? Say, Jesus, I want your, your message of light to come into my children's lives. I've tried it my way, Lord, please bring your way. Can you trust him in your marriage? Say, Lord, I want your principles in my marriage. I'm tired of fighting for my side of the interchange to get what I want. I want your way over my marriage. Can you trust him with your, with your career, with your job prospects, with your hopes, your dreams? Can you trust him with your past, with, with your history, with your reputation? Can you trust the Lord? Can you trust him with your past? Trust him with your future. Trust him with your present. Give him your very self. Lay it all down. Lay it down before Jesus today. Jesus is the way of life. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you would grab a hold of us and grant us confidence to know that you are the way. And as we come forward, Lord, with these cards of commitment, Lord, some of us are ready. We've prayed. We've measured we're ready to drop a, a commitment card in the, in the plate, Lord, with uh, defined numbers on it for 2017. Our hopes, our dreams, our promise for your work in 2017. Some of us, Lord, are ready this morning to make a commitment to have that place for you, that placeholder in our lives. We're going to give, Lord, to you. We're going to allow you in to our financial lives. Lord, some of us, we have something else. Before we are free, we must lay it down before you. So Lord, move our hearts and help us to commit to you. Help us to take one step deeper in following you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're invited at this time when you're ready as the music plays and as we continue in worship to come forward to lay down your commitment to the Lord and then we will close in prayer. Hallelujah and praise be to you, Lord God Almighty, for all of your goodness to us. We sing your praises, Lord. We thank you. We glorify you. We lift you up. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you have so blessed us that we have a gift to give. We thank you for calling us on the way of life of Jesus. We thank you for deepening our commitment to you. We pray, Lord, that you would take up our whole lives and shape our lives according to your glory and purposes. Help us, Lord, to walk in freedom from death and purpose in life in the light of Jesus Christ. We pray your blessing on this church that we would continue in the coming year to hear from you, Christ, our living head our master, our Lord, our Savior, as you guide and direct every action of this church for your glory. Lord, we thank you too that whatever is holding us back from you, we can lay down at your feet and know that you can take it up, that you can take it up, redeem the broken places, and Lord, shape our lives for greater glories and for your kingdom. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who teaches his church to pray with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.